Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. When you're trying to get pregnant, everyone has a piece of advice, something they've heard, something they've read, an old wives' tale. Well, today with Dr. Rayleigh Lou, we are debunking the myths. So any myths you'd like us to debunk that we haven't thought of, um, please write in and let us know and we can do a second episode because I'm sure we can't cover all the myths in one go. <laughs> all right, let's start with something a bit more fun. Does sexual position affect your chance of getting pregnant? This is one that's easy. No, it doesn't. So no matter what your favourite preference is, be it missionary style or doggy style or any kind of contortion of the Kama Sutra. On the kitchen table, on the floor, in a bed. Whenever, wherever. It doesn't affect your chances of conceiving. Obviously, you want to be having sex around ovulation. And that's got more to do with it. It's got a lot more to do with it. <laughs> What about putting your legs in the air once you're finished? So this is a bit of a common uh, conception. I think it came from the Big Lebowski. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it from there? No, okay, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it predates the reference. But, look, putting your legs in the air and staying in that position doesn't help you get pregnant. Most of the sperm's destiny is to come straight out of the vagina again, no matter what you do. And it's only the small amount of sperm that gets trapped in the fertile mucus of the cervix that has any chance of moving forward. What about more sex is better? So this is both true and false. So you want to be having sex lots around ovulation, at least every second day. And if you only have sex once, it's probably less likely that you'll fall pregnant than if you have sex multiple times in the lead up to ovulation and on the day of ovulation itself. But having sex four or five times a day, having sex every single day in the lead up to ovulation versus every second day doesn't increase your chances of getting pregnant. And it does increase your chances of A, not enjoying sex, B, getting sore and chafed, and C, getting emotionally spent in terms of the amount of time it takes you to get pregnant over several months. So I recommend for my patients... Yeah, exactly. I recommend to my patients to try from about day 10 of a regular 28-day cycle, second daily, until and including day 16. That way, if you're ovulating around day 14, most of the time you'll definitely catch it. And if you're ovulating a little bit early or a little bit late, you'll definitely catch it. Okay. So what about if we look at after an embryo transfer, a bit more scientific possibly than just having sex. So you've had your embryo transfer... What happens when you get up? Can you get up? Do you have to stay lying down? 
So in IVF, when we put back an embryo, we place the embryo inside the uterus itself. So it's not like sex where sperm is ejaculated into the vagina. You precisely place the embryo into the uterus and the uterine cavity, which is lined by endometrium, that's the tissue that a baby implants into, is a potential space. So it's not a hole or a vacuum. It's, it's actually a bit like the two layers of bread in a jam sandwich. So often an analogy that I've heard my colleagues use that I've used myself is placing an embryo into the uterus is like placing a poppy seed in a jam sandwich. It's not going to fall out. And the other thing to know about embryos is they're very sticky. So we check the embryo catheter after every embryo transfer and make sure it's all clear because embryos can actually stick to the catheter. So they're going to stick right. to the uterus. Wherever you put them on, they will stick. And you can go to the toilet and you can stand up and you can all of these things. So it is so common that women ask, can I go to the toilet? Especially because using ultrasound-guided embryo transfer, which I do routinely, you need a full bladder because the ultrasound oh. goes through a full bladder. So these women are busting. They, they, they're dying to go to the toilet. <laughs> okay. And so when they ask if they can go to the toilet, I'm like, yes, we're not putting the embryo in your bladder. <laughs> and so that was, so in, by that are you answering the question, is it okay to go to the toilet it after is, sex? It is definitely okay to go to the toilet after an embryo transfer and you should definitely go to the toilet after sex to do a wee because... If you don't, it increases your chance of getting a urinary tract infection. So no one wants any of them, especially if you're having a lot of sex to try and get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. So ladies, the bladder and the urethra are a completely different tract to the genital tract, which we kind of, because of the, the openings or the holes are coming out in a similar area, we kind of confuse them sometimes, but they are completely separate. So going to the toilet has nothing to do with having sex and it has nothing to do with putting an embryo back into the uterus. Now, for men, that's not the case. So for men, they, their urethra does share a purpose, um, okay. which can add to the confusion for women, but we're different. So, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, so we are different. And we have dedicated reproductive tract and dedicated urinary tract. Okay, very clear. What about choosing the sex of the baby via diet or other means? Yeah, so... We currently believe the only way you can choose the sex of your baby is to go through IVF, take some cells from embryos, determine the sex of the embryos and choose which embryos to put back, which, by the way, is illegal in Australia at the moment as it stands. Sex selection is not allowed for family balancing. Um, so all of the different myths around choosing the sex of your baby are not true and really... It's like flipping a coin, it's 50-50. So you'll either have a boy or a girl, a male or a female, and nothing you're going to do is going to influence that. So when you have sex to get pregnant naturally, the man ejaculates into the woman's vagina a reservoir of sperm far in excess of what's needed to conceive. Well, only one is needed. Well, that's not true. That's actually another myth. Ah. So imagine it like the beginning of a marathon race. So there's a crowd of sperm and we've got to go a long way, right, to get to the finish line, which is the egg. And the sperm run the race, dropping out on the sidelines as they go. <laughs> and by the time they get to the egg, you actually need about 200,000 sperm at the egg interface... <laughs> 
so that one can get through. So you think about it more like a rugby scrum or a team event, right? Because the egg is surrounded by these fluffy layers of cells called cumulus. Mm -hmm. They're thick, they're fluffy, they protect the egg, they nurture the egg, they feed the egg. They've got a really important role. But when it comes to fertilisation, the sperm have to diffuse the cumulus. And unless hundreds of thousands of sperm diffuse the cumulus to get rid of that outside layer, to unwrap the present, the one that's going to finally bind to the inner membrane and get through can't do its job. It can't solve the problem by itself. And that's one of the reasons why men who have a very low sperm count can't get their partners pregnant. Okay. So how many in your average ejaculatory moment, how many sperm are there if we need 200,000 to get to the end? So you'd be pleased to know that the average patient has somewhere between 50 and 150 million sperm per mil. (laughs) And that there's about two and a half mils in an ejaculate. So there's plenty in a normal sample. When you look at the sperm test parameters from the World Health Organization, the lower limit of the normal range is 15 million per mil. But that's actually the fifth centile of the normal population. So we call that normal, but it's actually a pretty low normal. So when men have a count of, you know, 5, 10 million per mil, that's actually super low. They're like in the, you know, first to third centile of the population. So people think sometimes when they see a semen analysis, oh, it's just a little bit below normal, but it's actually a lot below average. Okay. Okay. So that number is low. Yeah. Okay. So what about change of topic? What if you're in great shape? You do your yoga, you eat clean or whatever fad you're following at the moment, everything about your life that you know of is super healthy, it won't be hard to get pregnant? So it depends on how old you are. And if you are getting a little bit older and if you're a lot older, you can be the most super fit, super trim, Elle McPherson at 50, you know, kind of woman, you're not going to get pregnant with your own eggs. Even if you're, you know, kind of in your early to mid-40s, it's going to be difficult for you even if everything else in your life is very healthy. So it's really important. And, and I think it's really important for women particularly, but men as well, to understand that, you know, fertility has a deadline. And if you want to be successful, you've got to start having babies at an age where it's biologically plausible for you to be successful. And no matter how healthy you are, you won't be able to have babies with your own eggs after a certain point in time. And that's true for every single woman. Uh, However, you know, we do have healthy women who are a little bit older who can have babies with a donor egg and they can quite successfully and, you know, be healthy and carry a pregnancy and give birth with a donor egg. Okay, so that sort of comes to I've got a few that fit into this area and one of, them, one of the myths would be fertility drops off a cliff after 35. So a lot of media uses the number 35. Yeah. And that's because statistically around 35... Your fertility drops off Your fertility, well, it doesn't drop off the cliff. I would say it drops off the cliff after 40. Okay. But after 35, there's, there's a noticeable decline, a marked decline. Actually... Just sorry to be depressing, but that decline starts more like around 30, but it's slow. And then the rate of decline rapidly speeds up around 35. But it doesn't mean to say that every 35-year-old is going to have difficulty getting pregnant. Not at all. Many 35-year-olds conceive naturally without any particular delay and have healthy babies. Mm -hmm. But after 35, if you're not planning a pregnancy 
it's important for women to know that egg quality in general does decline and egg number declines. And so their candidacy, if you like, to be helped by technology also declines. Okay. So Janet Jackson, as an example, which actually you've given me, <laughs> and certainly other women we've seen, Sonia Kruger is, is an example, women around the age of 50 who were getting pregnant. Donor egg. Donor egg. Okay. So, so we shouldn't think these women are conceiving naturally or even with their own eggs on IVF. It's a donor egg. Yeah, and look, this generation of women who are now, you know, in their 30s, um, potentially they might be able to conceive later with their own eggs because egg freezing's really come into its own in this generation. But when Janet was 30, egg freezing wasn't really on offer. And certainly if it had been on offer, the technology available at the time wasn't effective. Right. So... For today's women, it might be possible to delay pregnancy to a later age using your own egg, but you have to be very smart, very savvy, freeze a lot of eggs, and there'll still be people who are disappointed who come back to use their own eggs and they're unable to, no matter how many they've frozen. So it's possible in the future that that might be conceivable with a woman's own egg, but certainly, Janet, I would, I would put a very strong bet is using an egg donor. Okay. So is fertility advice based on outdated research? How new is the information we've got available to us? So it's like our goalposts are shifting all the time. I saw online quite recently a criticism of data that was used from Hutterites, which are a group of French Christians who used to really maintain amazing records of, of births, deaths and marriages and they had no contraception and they believed just culturally that you should have as many babies as possible. So the Hutterite data is often quoted and it's, it's hundreds of years old but it's still great data because it's a situation where there was no contraception. There was no we, interference. There was no interference. Our bodies haven't changed. Yeah. Women were actively trying to have babies all the time and we see how age affected the births. Oh, okay. And so that data is not out of date. It's still really interesting because we have no other comparable data. But it's not the only source of data that we use for fertility projections and predictions. We use data ranging from as recently as, you know, this year... Yeah over the last decades and over the last hundreds of years and we put that together. Um, so no, fertility advice is not based on outdated data. Fertility advice, however, is given in the context of modernity and technology and the kind of treatments I give my patients today are very different from the kind of treatments used in IVF and fertility medicine only a few decades ago. And that's because the oldest IVF baby in the world is about my age. So the oldest IVF baby is about to turn 40 okay. in the entire world. Okay. I think a topic for another time actually would be Melbourne is where is actually a very important place for IVF and fertility globally. Yeah, absolutely. Globally, the third IVF baby in the whole entire world was born in Melbourne. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So next, about stopping the pill. So is it normal for periods to be delayed? Does that impact fertility? Is there a long-term issue if I've been on the pill for a long time? So another myth, no, it isn't. And the pill has a very short offset period. So a lot of people take the pill for a long, long time 
And if their underlying fertility is normal, when they stop the pill, a month later they should get a period, a normal period after a normal ovulation. The problem is that a lot of people can't remember why they started taking the pill. And a lot of people started taking the pill because their cycle was irregular to start with. So the pills used commonly to manage things like polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yep. It's often given to women who have what's called hypothalamic menstrual dysfunction. So the messages from the brain to the ovary are mixed up to start with. And maybe they've got a low estrogen. So an easy thing to do is to put them on the pill to give them a regular cycle and make sure that they've got yep. enough estrogen in their system for healthy bones, healthy kind of sex life, mood lots of different reasons and then when when women stop the pill suddenly these underlying issues can be unmasked new issues can be unmasked so women who started the pill for contraception and no other reason but then stop the pill and no period comes back there's probably an underlying concern that needs investigation it's not just normal to have no period after stopping the pill okay. so if you've stopped the pill and you haven't had a period and it's been some time you should go to your gp and raise the issue okay so next, your partner has a child from a previous relationship. That means he can't have fertility issues. If you don't get pregnant, it's the woman's fault. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I've had this situation arise in my practice time and time again. A woman comes with an older man. He's had a child who's now an adult who's 25. You do a semen analysis and it looks rubbish. And that's happened several times in my practice. And there's been a big delay to even investigating him because he's had a baby before. But also even younger men, you know, sperm and sperm problems can be the first sign of something really serious going on in their body. So they might have hormonal dysfunction because of a tumour in their pituitary gland or they might have something wrong in, at the level of the testis. They might be completely unable to produce a baby because they might have a blockage that they've acquired over time. They might have had chlamydia or gonorrhea and had scar tissue causing a blockage. So there's, there's lots of things that can go wrong. They might have normal sperm numbers, but they might have had an injury to the testis once upon a time or a surgery like for a hernia and they might have developed antibodies against their sperm so it can't swim anymore. So just because a man has fathered a child in the past doesn't mean that you don't need to investigate him as part of the equation. What about the thing around loose undies? <laughs> so that's actually true. <laughs> We've got one that's true. The first one is that men should be wearing boxes, not briefs. Well, the thing about men and the testes is they've evolved to hang outside of the body so that they are living at a temperature that's slightly cooler than our core body temperature. And that's the way that sperm like to be. And in terms of overheating the testes, be it by constraining them in clothing or whether it be um, less mobile and kind of sitting at a desk or driving a car for a living or, you know, kind of just overheating them for a man being obese, the sperm function is going to be affected by that. So it's true. We found one that's true. Okay, another one. If you just relax, you'll get pregnant. So for women who have an underlying issue, that's one of the most irritating things that they can hear from, <laughs> from their support people. <laughs> Um, 
Look, I, I, I don't want to play down the fact that stress has an impact on fertility. Certainly it does. And there are some couples who go on a holiday and get pregnant, anecdotally, you know, and I see that in my practice, particularly women who are really under the pump, really stressed, have so many things going on in their lives and they just go on a holiday and suddenly they eat a little bit better, they're a bit more relaxed, they ovulate, they have sex because they've got time to have sex. And they actually want to. And they want to because they're in the mood and they get pregnant. So, So it can happen that way. So it's not to be completely debunked. Yeah. But... Just because you're stressed doesn't mean there's not an underlying issue. And so I would recommend that if it's taken more than six months to get pregnant and you're kind of over 35 or it's taken more than 12 months and you're under 35, you should definitely look into it because after six months, more than 80% of couples where there's not a problem will already be pregnant. And after 12 months, more than 90% of couples where there's not a problem will already be pregnant. So if you've gone for that amount of time and you're not pregnant, it's time to look after yourself, but it's also time to have these first investigations. This is going to be my last one. Drinking coffee stops you from getting pregnant. So again, a relative answer. (laughs) Drinking coffee is not kind of the worst thing in the world and if you love your coffee you can still have a coffee there's no evidence that having one cup of coffee a day the equivalent of an espresso is going to have any negative impact on your chance of getting pregnant if you have high dose caffeine and studies where high dose caffeine have been given to animals like mice who are often the subjects of these studies it it is actually deleterious and retrospective deleterious deleterious just means it's bad (laughs) It does, it does reduce the chances. Yeah. And then also studies looking retrospectively at humans, looking at kind of women and how much coffee they're drinking reported by the woman retrospectively. Mm-hmm. They also show that women who drink lots of coffee yes. do have lower rates of conception. Okay. Thank you for listening. That was a bit of a fun episode. And if you've got any myths that you would like busted, um, feel free to submit them via the socials, Women's Health Melbourne. And also email podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au.